Two guys hanging out. Two guys chilling in a hot tub. Five, five feet, feet apart because they're not gay. gay. I feel like we said that last time we did the podcast, just <laughs> the two of us. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. Maybe we'll have to mix it up and just play just the two of us and you know, then get hit with copyright immediately. Hey, you know, sometimes history repeats itself in a good way, and I think that's what's happening. Every time we come together, history repeats itself in a great way. <laughs> come together. The anyway, entire episode is just going to be us, us talking about, like, or just singing songs <laughs> and just two dudes hanging out. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. Just Evan and I tonight. Hello. Once again, no one loves us. Yeah. <laughs> we asked Marshall and Alex what, uh, like, the key to love was last week, and it's like, well, apparently we still don't know. Haven't figured it out. Man. Apparently it takes longer than a week to find. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> it's still on 26 years and it's still working lo- on it. Sounds like a lot of work, you know. Yeah, it's all right. It's gaming season coming up. Oh, so yeah. Honestly, just Halo Infinite is just going to rule my life. I cannot wait until we can get all of us on there and play together because right. that's going to be a fun time. Yeah, if I cancel plans um, with anyone listening, you know why now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, we're still enjoying our long Thanksgiving weekend right now. Uh I know we've definitely gotten some use out of it, but oh yeah, the uh, it's a classic mix of just an absurd amount of food and an absurd amount of beers. Yeah, definitely. The hang- I tell myself every year I'm like I'm not gonna have a hangover every single morning when I go through this four day weekend, but alas, it happens every and day. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Next year we got this. <laughs> Then I had to get up at like eight o'clock this morning to do yard work, and I was like, "That's fun." That's right, like intense yard work too. I mean, I did like the least work out of the group. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I pulled out my deck earlier this year because I'm going to get a patio port at my house, and uh, a fr- family friend came with his skid loader and helped me pull out all the posts today. But Whoever put the posts in concreted them like three and a half feet into the ground, so they did not want to come out. So yeah, they were in there. It was that. A, that was a fun time, but mm-hmm. we, we got it all done. So, but yeah, what do, what about you, Evan? How's your day been? Oh, did not do much today. Um, literally just kind of hung out with the pup, watched college football. Nice Badgers, I believe, are at halftime right now. So hopefully, Bucky can pull that out. But no, literally just kind of enjoying, relaxing. Maxin and relaxing. Maxin and relaxing. Tis the season. We're actually going to call it chillaxing because right. it's cold as balls. And we're back to weather corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need, we definitely need like just a little drop. Like now back to the weather. Reporting <laughs> from the studio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Hope you guys are all doing well out there. Hope you guys all had a fantastic Thanksgiving with your family and friends. Hope everyone was safe and responsible. But I hope you all said you're thankful for the Gems of History podcast. Because I know I am. I sure am. I'm thankful for Evan and all the other hosts that come on the show, because I don't want to list them all one by one. <laughs> I'm also thankful for Evan. <laughs> That's it. <Aww. laughs> oh, and you too. 
But yeah, we got a, a pretty good topic to cover today, and I think we're both going to get pretty into it as we talk, so I feel like it might run a little long depending on how that goes. So get our trivia out of the way, why don't we, huh? Sounds good. Yeah, super excited to dive into the topic, uh, which we'll get into a little bit, but I'll start us off with trivia. Sounds like a plan. So how long ago do historians estimate the first settlers arrived on what is now American soil? A, 12,000 years ago, B, 8,000 years ago, C, 600 years ago, or D, 500 years ago? Um, I'm going to go with the big old boy and just go 12,000. The big honker. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> You're correct. So yes. historians estimate that the first settlers in America... Uh, actually crossed a, crossed a land bridge uh, that was between, I believe, Russia and Alaska uh, 12,000 years ago to settle what is now North and South America. And then the funniest thing happened, the bridge disappeared. Nice. <laughs> and then they're like, well, we're here now. I guess this is where we're staying. Yep. And they lived peacefully for 11,000 years. And then, then we showed up. <laughs> yep. Then we, then we came a knock and it's like, whoa, 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 you're uh, having too good of a time. Can't let that happen. And then the film Pocahontas happened. <laughs> I was going to say coming to America, but yeah. <laughs> same thing, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Mine kind of goes with what we're going to be talking about today. So during World War II... Uh, all of the concentration camp prisoners had to wear different colored patches on uh, their uniforms. So, what color triangle patch did homosexual men have to wear in concentration camps during World War II? A. Pink B. Blue C. Purple or D. Black Huh, I actually never knew this, that they like did the different colored patches. Yeah. For... Um... I am going to say purple. Take that shot. Ah. The correct answer was pink. So there is, all of the Jews had to wear yellow stars to identify themselves as Jewish. And then along with that, there was brown triangles for Romani people, red were for political prisoners, green for criminals, blue for immigrants, purple for Jehovah's Witnesses, and black for what they considered asocial people, which included prostitutes and lesbians. Social people? Asocial. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it would be kind of social people. Okay? Right, just extroverts, just get a special <laughs> Taylor was just very much an introvert and could not handle these guys' conversations. He's like, you guys are way too full of energy for me. Yeah, we need you to take a chill pill. But uh, yeah, they put pink ones on the homosexual men as just another way to kind of dehumanize them. Right. And then the LGBT community co-opt the pink triangle and kind of reclaimed it as a symbol of like... I guess, gay pride now. Oh, so very cool. That's how they kind of took back the power on that end, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But Yeah, take that, Hitler. Yeah, Nazis, they really just like to throw patches on people, I guess. It's that and just search for random historical and mythical items. They just really liked branding, like the patches, like <laughs> right. the, the death's head for the SS guys, like yep. tattooing all of the, their, like, because the, the uh, high ups in the SS had to get like a tattoo on their body right. to signify that they were part of that group. And that's all I think I've talked about this before. That's why Mengele got away because he refused to get the tattoo because he was mm -hmm. just like so vain about his personal appearance. So 
They were probably very regretful of that when the old Nuremberg trials came around. Yeah, he just slipped because they like looked at his paperwork and stuff, but they're like, he doesn't have the tattoo. So I don't know if this is actually him or if he yeah. just has the wrong papers. So he just kind of slipped through the cracks and got out of there. But wow. Yeah. What a, what a technicality. Literally the luckiest break for the worst person. That's just how it, I guess this world just works. Like we talked about this yesterday a little bit with serial killers. Um, how they just kept on, they always get away with like things and things and things. Yeah. Until it's like, oh, their license is expired or something right. preposterous. Like the luck finally runs out. Or they get caught stealing something minor at a grocery store or something. And then it's like, well, now we got to in- investigate you for the rest of the shit that you did. Right. So you really needed this uh, like Jolly Rancher pack yeah. that bad. But anyways, our our main topic for today, uh, I think I'll let you introduce it because you were the one that brought this to my attention. Sure, yeah. So today we are talking about a man uh, from World War II. Uh, his name was Leo Major. And now, excuse me, a lot of you probably haven't heard of this guy. Um, if you're an American listener, you probably haven't heard a lot about this guy. In Canada, you probably have heard him, but he his story went pretty untold for... A very long time, which is absolutely shocking considering the bravery and just the insane acts that he did, uh, both throughout World War II and the Korean War. I mean, when you get the nickname Canadian Rambo, yeah. that's that's a pretty big like honor right there. Right. But yeah, just going unknown for literally like almost 30 years after the war ended, mm-hmm. it's just kind of insane. And we can kind of get into that later as to why that is. But yeah, it's because I'd never heard of this guy until you sent it to me. And I was like... How have I never heard of this guy? And how is there like not a ton of movies about this guy? Because if he was American, right. there would be. Oh my goodness! If he was American, like Schwarzenegger would have done a movie. Well, that was a terrible example because Schwarzenegger is. <laughs> 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 he, the yeah. accent might be a giveaway. Yeah. Well, Let's switch that to Stallone would have done this guy instead of Rambo. Yeah, pretty much. But um, yeah, so we're talking about Leo Major today. Uh, we'll the main goal today. We're going to go through. All of his heroic actions in World War II and the Korean War, um, basically, quick summary, like he was an incredible scout and a sniper for uh, the Canadian forces in World War II. As French well as, Canadian. Or excuse me, French Canadian. Yeah. Which that actually does they, matter they, quite a bit. They, have to, they specify that in everything about him. And gotcha. it's very important to like the story as a whole, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's very true. Um, but yeah, with that, I guess let's just dive into it. So... A uh, quick little background, and Jacob's going to take over just to go a little bit more in depth on his up upbringing and all that good stuff. Gotta love a new format. Yeah, right. But uh, Leo was born on January 23rd, uh, 1921, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I hate saying that state's name so much because it trips me up so much. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And died on October 12th, 2008, in Montreal, Canada, where yes. he lived... Uh, a very, well, I guess we won't get into too much, but post-war, very peaceful life, um, a very long life. Very unassuming. Well. Like, right. didn't really seek any glory for what he did, like, Mm-mm. as a whole. Like, he obviously got glory from people that wanted to give it to him, but he never went out and sought it, which is kind of amazing to me. Oh, gosh, yeah. Especially considering what he did. Yeah, I mean, it, he just literally said... Like, okay, I'm going to do what I have to do, and I don't want anyone to... Like, this is just my job. Yeah, totally. Uh, Major was a veteran of both the Second World War and the Korean War, and is the only Canadian that was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal 
which is the second most prestigious medal in Canada's military in two separate wars. And he actually won this medal three separate times, yeah. uh, twice in World War II and then one in the Korean War. And like I mentioned, we'll be talking about his heroic actions in World War II and the Korean War, uh, as well as the legacy that he left behind. Uh, so, Jacob, I don't know if you want to take it from there, just on his upbringing. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to mention my sources right off the bat so I don't Always forget. forget that. <laughs> uh, I used a few articles online from allthatsinteresting.com, tracesofwar.com, uh, Britannica.com, a New York Times article, and then I watched the documentary that came out a couple years ago on Leo Major. It's uh, all in French for the most part, but it's called Leo Major, the One-Eyed Ghost, and I rented it off of Amazon Prime Video, so if you want to go watch it. I, it's a really cool documentary. The guy uh, travels over to the Netherlands to talk to people who knew Leo from his exploits over there and stuff that we'll get into later, but would recommend watching it if you get if you're interested in what we talk about today. So Yeah, and absolutely insane. Like the nickname One Eyed Ghost. Yeah. Like, pretty, pretty impressive. Pretty man. badass. <laughs> uh my sources, and thank you for reminding me about of sources. Course. Uh were Canadian War Heroes, Britannica, like Jacob mentioned. Uh in addition, I did the Canadian Encyclopedia, as well as a YouTube video from the channel Simple History. Yeah, so uh, as Evan said, uh, for his childhood, he mentioned that he was born January 23rd, 1921 in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and he was born to two French-Canadian parents, and I only found their names in one article, but the article listed their names as Akil and Amanda Major, and so that's one like kind of big point, is that he was actually born in the U.S., but he is, like by all means, a French-Canadian from Canada. Mm-hmm. So. He was born in the United States while his father was on temporary deployment here for work with the uh, Canadian National Railway Company. But before he turned one year old, Leo and his family moved back to Quebec. And he was the oldest of 13 children, which, talk about a big family. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah, me having one other sibling can't comprehend having... 12 other people yeah i have three other siblings i think my family's huge yeah that's incredible like we consider mark's family big because he's got like he's one of seven yeah and that's not even that's just over half of his family of leo major's family unbelievable how much food had to just run through that house also unbelievable that his mom pretty much had to raise the kids on her own because right? the fa- his father would be away for work so much. So it's pretty much up to the mother to organize the family. So mm-hmm. shout out to Amanda Major for doing that. Oh my gosh, yeah. So uh, it- okay, I like struggle to raise a nine month old puppy, <laughs> right? let alone fourteen humans. So it, it was probably better that she was the uh, main factor in the household, though, since. A few sources that I read said that Akil, the father, would regularly come home and fly into fits of anger, which he would pretty much take out on Leo for any bad behavior while he was away at work. So because of this, uh, like the physical abuse and mental abuse that he suffered at home, Leo left home at the age of 14 to go live with his aunt and uncle. And there's not really too much that they list on what he does in this interim time. The only thing I could really find was that age 17, he started working at Montreal Central Train Station, where he was acknowledged by his bosses for his bravery and pretty much his willingness to take on dangerous and hard jobs, which is going to become a major factor in his later life. 
And he then he pretty much just jumped around from job to job, finding what work he could because the economy wasn't really booming in French Canada at this point. So any work that he could find, he took. And then eventually he saw his opportunity to go on deployment with the uh, Canadian Army at the age of 19. And from there, it kind of starts the story of Leo Major as most people know it. So, right. Yeah. He had a very gritty childhood, yeah. if you will, uh, with the problems with his father as well as... I mean, he was raised during the Great Depression. Yeah. And so, like, times were probably tough. And the Great Depression, with that big of a family, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so he definitely had a scrappy upbringing. And um, uh, that that's one word that I see, like, multiple people say about him is that he was scrappy. scrappy because he wasn't yeah. a very big guy, I think. Right. Like, in my, yeah, he was 5'9", like, 134 pounds when he joined the military. Mm-hmm. But everyone said he's, like, a scrappy boxer. Like, yeah. So he and he really had a chip on his shoulder from his home life because his father always told him he wasn't good for anything. And so that was a huge motivation for why he wanted to go off to war because he wanted to go out there and pretty much say, hey, look, dad, I can actually do things to make you proud of me, even if his father wasn't. But it's just like, I, I don't need to prove myself to you anymore. Right. And now Leo Major is literally a stamp in Canada. Yeah. So... Take that, Akil. <laughs> has a name road a road named after him in uh, in a different country. Right, so. right, right. Um, so just taking off where where Jacob uh, or taking off, <laughs> going forward from where Jacob left off. There, uh, the nineteen year old, the then nineteen year old Leo enlisted in the Canadian Army, uh, where he was assigned to join Le Regiment Le, Le Oh my God, <laughs> Le Regiment de la Chardière. Uh, and this regiment was known for its insignia, which was two Vickers machine guns with a beaver resting on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> which was just like the picture of it. It's it's hilarious. It's the it's, most Canadian thing ever. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, we'll fight you, but there's going to be a funny part to it, too. <laughs> <laughs> we got to make this a little goofy. Uh, so Leo first saw action on D-Day, so June 6th, 1944. Uh, where his platoon, or excuse me, his regiment was part of the scouting platoon group. And during the initial days of World War II, during the invasion, he was specifically taking the role as a sniper and a scout, like we mentioned. Yeah, and uh, one there is, at the time, there was a big push from French-Canadian people, like civilians, kind of against sending people to war. It was It was kind of a taboo. A little bit that people were going off to war because these French Canadians didn't want to send their sons, fathers, whoever off to fight under the British crown pretty much. And that's because these people were getting sent over to Scotland to train and then eventually getting deployed from there. So they were like, why should our French speaking people have to fight underneath the British crown? And so that's part of the reason why a lot of these people didn't really speak about what they went through Mm -hmm. because it was just a stigma in that area for a long time so it wasn't until many years later that a lot of the stories about any of these people came out yeah and that stigma is even kind of around today i mean canada or just uh quebec in general still very much a french-speaking right uh region of canada where everywhere else is primarily English speaking. And that's why it's so important that like 
people have to be specific that he was a French Canadian because yes. that's very integral to the entire story. Right, so, right, right. But yeah, like bef- Evan mentioned, it first saw combat in on D Day, but pretty much before that, he like went to train, and then when he was training, it pretty much right away had to go to the hospital for pneumonia. And he spent 49 days in the hospital with pneumonia. So it must have been pretty bad. But I thought it was funny that in his own words, he claims he spent that time admiring the beautiful nurse's legs. So <laughs> My man. Yeah. So he stayed on continent in Canada until September of 1940 and then spent like three to four years over in Europe pretty much waiting to get assigned. So he he had like a pretty brief stint actually seeing combat in world war ii Mm because most of his fighting happened in the last year less than a year so right it's pretty amazing how many things he gets done in that short amount of time yeah he's very efficient yes (laughs) (laughs) uh on the very first day uh, of the invasion uh leo along with his scouting platoon captured an enemy communications half track that was full of German code books and other just important uh, communications documents, as well as just a lot of classified information. Well, even before this, on D-Day, uh, in the documentary, they talk about how he landed basically on Juno Beach, is what it was called, on D-Day. Mm-hmm. And there was an English-Canadian regiment who was pretty much pinned down on the beach. And so the French-Canadian troop, with Leo leading the charge pretty much, blew up a German bunker and went and took a dozen German prisoners after they blew up the bunker and pretty much saved that English Canadian regiment. And when Leo's son asked him like later on in life, if he was scared at that moment, he said, no, I was too busy shooting at the Germans. Yeah. Right. It's probably one of those things you have so much adrenaline and yeah, just that kind of your instincts and training is the only thing you're really thinking about and fearless is an understatement with this guy he absolutely just did not have any hesitation to run straight into the mouth of a fight so Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy yeah he was also very much known for his keeping his cool yeah like we'll talk about that in his korean war uh don't want to call exploits but in the korean war aspect of his military career especially when he was leading troops just very cool and almost unnaturally calm. Oh, definitely unnaturally calm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I guess that comes from probably his upbringing with just having to deal with getting abused by his father and stuff. He probably right. just had to stay strong. So I mean, yeah, builds character, I guess. Again, but... a gritty and scrappy man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but back to the half track uh, story. Um, once he disarmed the crew of the half track, uh, he ordered them to drive the vehicle back to allied lines so he effectively captured everyone there and ordered them to drive back to to the uh, allied lines where they were actually fired upon by british guns who mistook the german half track as an invading force uh during the quote unquote gunfight uh, leo climbed to the top of the half track and waved like waved off the british um uh artillery until they finally stopped firing. And once he got back to the line, he joked and almost kind of very much made fun of the artillery uh, division that was shooting at them. I was very thankful that they had terrible aim. Yeah. And that, that British, British, British soldiers just couldn't shoot. 
And uh, I meant to say this kind of at the beginning, but a little bit of a disclaimer is there's a lot of different sources on this guy, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them that like slightly change different aspects of the stories. So we did our best to try and collaborate all of the sources together to get the best picture. So some of this might be exaggerated a little bit, which I don't even know why people needed to exaggerate his right. story at all. But yeah, so just go into it with that knowledge that some of this might be a little over the top from what actually happened, but... It's fun either way. Either way, roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the English officer then that effectively was shooting at Leo and his captured soldiers uh, demanded that Leo hand over the code book and all the information that he captured. But Leo refused to give this to anyone other than a French Canadian officer. So that just kind of goes back to the, the honestly, let's just call it rivalry. All right, hand it over. No. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. This will go to my other uh, Vickers machine guns and Beaver brothers. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, later during the early days of the invasion, uh, Leo was scouting ahead uh, for his unit when he unexpectedly encountered f- a four-man SS patrol. He was able to take out all four of the SS soldiers, but the last one threw a phosphorus grenade at Leo before dying. This grenade went off and hit the area around Leo, which resulted in Leo losing an eye. Yeah, so he didn't like lose the eye physically, but he was blinded in that eye. And he was right. actually blind in both eyes for 24 hours after it originally happened and then eventually regained sight in his right eye. But yeah, never had it in his left eye ever again. So That is an unbelievable 24 hours. Just- yeah. I can't imagine just not having sight. Yeah, and this is the first point where everyone's like, Leo, go home. And he's like, absolutely not. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he was actually quoted, and again, this goes back to maybe what's true, what's dramatized, but he was supposedly quoted saying that he only needs one good eye to shoot Germans. Yeah, that was pretty much in every source, so I'm pretty sure that's probably true. Yeah, God was like, this guy's kind of too badass. We need to hamper him a little bit. And then they gave him an eye patch. It's like, well, that that just had like yeah. the exact reverse effect. And then I love that Leo, when he got the eye patch, he's just like, I look like a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's all of us. Yeah. That's the most relatable thing. It's like, and scurvy, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I was a sniper. I had one good eye and could still shoot. That's just like, what a badass. <laughs> right. And that's just a recurring thing. Back to the scrappiness. He just wanted to see his job and duty done. Uh, but after returning to active duty, uh, after the blinding incident, uh, Leo and squad, let's call it, were involved in the Battle of the Scheldt in Holland. And during this battle, Major was able to capture a total of 93 prisoners, supposedly single-handedly. And now the story goes that Leo was ordered to find 50 Canadian conscripts, which the slang term for these types of soldiers, they called them zombies. Yep. Because they, I don't even know if you want to call them lazy. The source that I said that they were, it was typical slang for like lazy, unmotivated. They just were kind of incompetent. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they were conscripts. Yeah, they were sign-ons. Like, yeah. They're not going to be as hardy and battle-ready as these guys that enlist. Yeah. They have both functioning eyes, so they're just not nearly as cool. <laughs> Um, but he was assigned to go find these 50 Canadians that went missing. 
So Leo laced up his PT sneakers. Yes, that's so funny. This dude, the, and this saves his life a couple times. The oh, yeah. fact that he wears shoes instead mm-hmm. of combat boots. Yeah, so again, he wasn't, like Jacob mentioned, he wasn't wearing the standard issue like military boot, like the traditional military boot. He insisted that him and later when he was leading men, like his men, on scouting missions would wear these PT sneakers, lo- which is genius. And I he- love the fact that he's doing all of this as a private. Like yeah. all, all of this that he does in World War II is as a private because he, he was like offered a promotion to sergeant, but he pretty much said like the sergeant does all the officer's work but doesn't get any of the credit. Yeah. And then he like broke curfew or something to go see a girl and then he just got ranked or deranked back to private so he's like all right i'll just do it all as a private i guess right (laughs) just take anything take my titles don't take my sneakers yeah right uh so he was deep behind enemy lines in the dark and in freezing cold rain looking for these count these conscripts uh he didn't end up finding them but he did come across a garrison of german troops in trenches sleeping he awoke the commander and ordered him to tell his men to stand down and follow him back to Allied lines. Some of the German soldiers did raise their rifles to try and fight this one man because they thought, well, it's 93 against one. How would we possibly lose? But Leo quickly shot them dead and then took their machine guns. When I was like the source that I saw, he basically he was supposed to go out with his friend Willie on a scouting mission, and they're pretty much a, like a tag team that will come up again later. But Willie was, I think he was sick, so he was in the field hospital that night. So Leo was like, all right, I'll just do it myself. And so he saw that there was like a gap in the, the German line, pretty much. So he took all of his stuff, went into the river, and just snuck up behind two sentinel guards and just killed those two, and then found the officer sleeping. And I guess the, when the officer woke up, Leo was just standing there. He's like, you're a prisoner of war now. <laughs> I can't imagine waking up. You're in a trench. You've probably been digging the entire day, and that man is standing in yeah. front of you. Just like lighting, lighting a cigarette. Yeah. yeah. Wearing sneakers. Where, yeah. <laughs> the German officer just like says the German phrase for, what are those? But Leo, Leo called himself, he, I think he said, I was like a water rat. Oh, yeah. So while he was marching his now prisoners of war back to the Allied lines, they actually were fired upon by a separate German division in a neighboring town who were furious that their comrades were surrendering. These German, the, peop, the Germans that were shooting at them were eventually driven off by an Allied Sherman tank, but not without killing several of their own men, which apparently had a pretty big impact on how Leo viewed just the Germans in general. Uh, he thought it was preposterous and insane that they would fire upon that many of their own men, um, effectively killing them just out of apparent frustration that they were, they were surrendering. Yeah, his son in the documentary talks about one story that Leo would tell, and basically it was they were getting counter-sniped by two people, and eventually Leo found them and killed both of them, but when he went to go to their position to, like, see who they were he found that there were like 12 and 14 respectively oh and really? so it, they his son said like that really uh, like affected him the rest of the time he was fighting because oh, he was gosh, like yeah. i can't believe these young kids are being sent to fight me yeah i mean this was desperation time for the germans um they were kind of using wherever they could to their backs were very much against the wall oh yeah we were coming for that ass <laughs> <laughs> 
which was the actual official name of the mission. They did not see that coming. (sighs) Son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Uh, But for this, uh, for his actions, uh, he was awarded the his first out of three distinguished conduct medals. But the first one, he actually refused to accept it because it was going to be presented by a uh, British officer whom Leo considered incompetent. Yeah. Bernard Montgomery, not good enough for a Leo major. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And just, again, that stigma comes up. Yeah. And like you mentioned, he's a private at this point. And this officer was trying to give him a medal, and he said no. Get out of my face. He was very much a hothead. Bonjour. He was very, yeah, very much like a hot-headed dude who is like, I'm going to do what I want and I'll take the punishment if you guys give it to me. But that just never really happened because they're like, this guy's doing a lot of good stuff. So I guess we can't really be mad. Was this guy just Master Chief before Master Chief? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Literally the entire storyline of Halo was, this guy kind of says what he wants. Pretty much. Leo Major, the first Spartan. Wow. In February 1945, Leo and his squad were in the battles to take the Rhineland. His half-track hit a mine, however, killing everyone except Leo. So everyone that was aboard that uh, armored vehicle died except for Leo. I believe the mine just kind of took one look at Leo. It was like, no, 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 no. Absolutely can't kill this guy. No. Just didn't have enough firepower. I guess. I just... It's, it's amazing what this guy survives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and do, so though Leo survived, he did suffer two broken ankles, four broken ribs, and broke his back in three different places. And he broke one of his arms. <laughs> and one of his arms. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, but again, he refused to go home. Yeah, he he stayed in the hospital for a month, and then he was like, I'm going to go back to the front lines. So he broke out of the hospital, went to go visit his girlfriend in Belgium, and then just went back to the front lines and never got punished for, like, coming back unannounced. I wonder if they even knew that he was gone. Like, where'd he go? They had to. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they did. But one of the videos that I watched on YouTube, he, like... It was a little dialogue between him and his commander, and the commander was like, you know, the war's a boot over, right? And and Leo's <laughs> just like, why do you think I came back so soon? <laughs> and that's pretty much the mentality. He's just like, I want to get back out and finish this war. I'm sure like the first, like you mentioned, he had pneumonia for the longest time. I'm sure that was a, another driving factor. Like he didn't want to just miss out on this right. quote unquote opportunity to do some good as well as kill a lot of germans yeah but he honestly he didn't really kill that many like most of the time he just captured them yeah which is pretty amazing because he was very like conscious of the fact that these people are in the same situation i am so Mm -hmm. i don't really need to kill them if it's unnecessary if i can take them prisoner i will that is very true and something that he did i mean what we're about to talk to but he did it really throughout his entire military career yeah and i think that's part of the reason why he accomplished some of these things is because these guys realize like he's given me a fair shot at staying alive, so mm-hmm. I might as well just like take my chances here before he changes his mind. Right, right. So, so now let's dive into the liberation of Zwoll. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. Okay, thank goodness. I did not double check that before we yep, hit record. It's Zwoll. So in one of the final pushes to clear German forces, uh Leo and his friend Corporal Willie Arsenal 
volunteered to scout out the town of Zwolle and relay the German strength in the town, as well as just other things such as where their headquarters were, how much artillery do they have, do they have any tanks, etc. Typical scouting stuff, you know? Yeah, and then they were supposed to meet up with the uh, like Dutch resistance right, fighters right. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the Germans spotted Willie after his grenade bag made a rustling sound and proceeded to shoot him dead. See, the, in the documentary, they mentioned that, honestly, this is where his, uh, Leo's shoes save him. Because yeah. they say that his boots, the Willie's boots, were part of the reason because it was making too much noise. Oh, but sure. since Leo had those sneakers on, he was a lot quieter, so they yeah. saw Willie right away. And Yeah. Uh, Leo did eventually take out two of the Germans that shot his friend Willie, while the rest fled in a car. He then hid Willie's body to the side of the road, took his machine gun and grenade bag, and apparently Leo was just so enraged and obviously hurt that his friend was killed, and then began his one-man liberation campaign of the city of Zwolle from the German forces. So following taking... um, Willie's machine gun and grenade bag, as well as just hiding him off to the side of the road. Uh, Leo disarmed a German scout and then commandeered his car, taking the German's MP40. So Leo has two bags of grenades and three machine guns. (laughs) This man with an eye patch. Yeah, literally Rambo. Yeah. Uh, The scout then took Leo to a bar where a German officer was. And after Leo disarmed him, he found out that the officer spoke French. Leo then informed the officer that the town was about to be heavily bombarded the next day and would result in many casualties, both for the Germans located there as well as the civilians. This is just another lucky break for him. The fact that this German officer was born in Alsace, where it's a French-speaking like area, right. so he knows another language that he can speak to him in. Because... Neither of, or he didn't speak German. The other guy didn't speak English. So the fact that they even were able to have a conversation is outstandingly lucky. <laughs> yeah, unbelievably lucky. Yeah. Uh, the officer did understand what Leo was saying, like like we just mentioned, and in good faith, Leo actually gave the officer back his pistol and sent him away in the scout car, hoping that the officer would then proceed to evacuate his troops. That's where that uh good faith comes into play. Oh, yeah. Uh, Leo then spent the next few hours firing upon any German troops he came in contact with, throwing grenades and making as much noise as possible. He did this so he can confuse the enemy into thinking that there was a much larger invasion force actually coming and preparing to take the city. So basically, just trying to make as much noise, as much explosions, Firing, and I've even saw some source that he would even just fire up in the air yeah. to scare troops away uh, with three machine guns. Yeah, because he told the officer that they were going to attack tomorrow, like the next day. So right. now all these people are like, well, we're not supposed to be getting attacked yet. So why are all these noises? Ha- like, why is everything going crazy? Yeah, like what's going on? Throughout the liberation campaign, so while he was uh, firing upon German troops, throwing grenades everywhere. Uh, every time he had roughly around 8 to 10 prisoners, he would actually stop, march them back to Allied lines, and then turn back and then continue his assault. And there was also the, those Dutch resistance fighters he would hand yep. off to them as well. So he was just like capturing groups of men, being like, here, take these guys. And I think that's part of the reason why the Germans were so wary about fighting back is because mm-hmm. they 
there's literally groups of men just disappearing and there's all they hear is just grenades going off and everything right. so and it's believed that he did this so captured these groups of eight to ten prisoners uh my source uh said that he did this around 10 separate times so if you put that in perspective that's 80 to 100 prisoners of war that he conquered don't want to say conquered but captured and honestly a night yeah um four separate times throughout all of leo's uh daredevil deeds <laughs> great sentence evan great sentence uh four times uh he forced his way into the civilian houses to rest and apparently initially they were scared of him you know this guy with three machine guns and an eye patch bursted into my home what's right. going on uh but once they kind of realized what he was doing there and again when he met up with the resistant fighters uh, they were very happy to help, and like Jacob mentioned, even helped capture prisoners. Yeah, because in the uh, documentary, they talk with a guy who lives on an outskirt, like a farm near the outskirts of the city, and his parents actually housed Willie and Leo before they actually went into the city because they saw these two guys just like wandering around in their field, and they're like, "Those guys aren't Germans. They're not wearing German uniforms. Like, who are they?" And they're like, "Oh, those guys are." like trying to liberate the city for us. So right. they took him in and helped him for a little bit and then sent him off. So I love those stories, like those small, not small because they had a huge impact, but like those kind of stories yeah. where they just helped out the hero. And basically. it's cool. It's cool that like this guy has all these stories now basically saying like, my parents told me all the stories about helping these two guys who are now like renowned figures right. in our town. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, Leo also attacked and burnt down the Gestapo headquarters in the city. So he literally just burnt down the building. Um, and for those that don't know, the Gestapos, uh, they were actually a group of, they were essentially the German secret state police. And they were very much known for eliminating any opposition internally, uh, both in Germany as well as Germany's conquered lands, to the Third Reich. So they were the secret police, and this Badass, one-eyed man was like, "I'm gonna set your entire house on fire." C'est la vie. <laughs> uh, after this, Leo then proceeded to attack the SS headquarters. A firefight did break out, and Leo proceeded to kill four SS officers inside. By 4:30 a.m., Leo had successfully captured or driven out. And I know this number may be different because uh, it was different in a couple of my sources, but he successfully either captured or drove out close to 500 enemy SS soldiers in the town, uh, effectively liberating it all in a night's work. Yeah, because basically he found that when he went into town, there was a lot less Germans there than he had expected. Mm -hmm. And so once he realized that, he is like, I might be able to just work this on my own. <laughs> right, right. Especially with that personal vendetta, because they killed like his best wartime friend, pretty yeah. much. So, yeah, and again, we like we mentioned when um, he preferred to capture enemies as opposed to killing them. I mean, his greatest motivation was to not harm a single civilian life, which would have definitely happened if they would have just bombarded the entire city. Yeah, he basically wanted to preserve the city. Like, yeah. that just shows mm -hmm. his sentiment that he had with everything in the war. It wasn't just like burn all loot all it was like right. i just want to win i don't want to have to destroy everything in the process exactly very much um so like i mentioned a single civilian life was harmed during this entire liberation um after he cleared the town he gathered willie's body and carried him back to the allied camp 
He was then again, of course, awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal, and this time he accepted it for his bravery and actions at Zwolle. Yeah, there, there's a Dutch newspaper that they showed in the documentary that uh, had a Dutch headline that said, Leo Major was not one of the li- liberators of Zwolle, he was the liberator of Zwolle. So it just shows how much gratitude they had for it. Like, and they knew who it was yeah. that helped them. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, he ran into, like, you, like we mentioned, the resistance fighters. He just went into the homes of the people and probably built a relationship. And like after um, his military career, he, like you mentioned, I believe at the start of the episode, he returned to the city yeah. just to basically catch up and say hey <laughs> well he was like paraded through the right. city the day after the liberation and everything mm-hmm. so everyone knew who this guy was this one-eyed eye-patch man yeah <laughs> who saved their city so after world war ii leo left the army and took up a job as a pipe fitter he went back home uh, he went back home to montreal to live with his parents mm-hmm. and he got home and was ready to take off his uniform, and then he found out that his parents had sold all of his clothing because they were so certain that he wasn't going to make it back from the war. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, how about a welcome home party? <laughs> yeah. It's like he does the surprise military homecoming thing, and they're like, oh, oh, Shh, They're shoot. like loading baskets of yeah. his clothing into the car. They're shipping it out in trunks. Yeah. They're selling it on the streets, like, in a in a booth the ebay <laughs> listing just ended sorry yeah. Ooh, well there's still like a pair of boxers if you want to bid <laughs> you want to bid on your own clothes <laughs> c'est la vie c'est la vie <laughs> oh man um so like we mentioned he participated also participated in the korean war so on the 25th of june 1950 war broke out uh, when north korea invaded south korea Canada joined the United Nations force to restore the situation while China supported North Korea. Yeah, he was uh, called by some of the heads of the military trying to, because they're, they're just trying to recruit people pretty much. And they gave him a call and they're like, we need someone to train our snipers. And he's probably one of the best candidates, honestly, despite the fact that he's got one working eye. Right. But yeah, he's like, sure. And his son said, like, I don't know why my dad said he would go back because he really didn't say. He just said, all right, yeah, I'll go back, I guess. And I guess he was the thousandth Canadian sign-on for the Korean War. So, Oh, really? Like yeah, the exact he, thousand? Yeah, he was the number 1,000. But yeah, he pretty much Love just that. trained a small group of men. And this was the first time he was able to actually like lead people. Because mm-hmm. as we said, he was a private throughout the rest of the war. So he did everything on his own. Right. <laughs> so Leo, who was then 29, of course, seen as a veteran and a great leader, uh, headed to Korea to help the war effort there. One day, Leo and his team were commanded to take two strategic positions that were previously lost by American forces. The fighting, while they were recapturing it, uh, went on for days, but eventually Leo and his squad did take the positions. The 22nd Regiment. Yes. Did you see their nickname? The Van Doos. The Van Doos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Hill 355 is the, yes. the, the major fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo's superior officer, uh, after they, initially after they retook the hill, uh, ordered them to stay at the positions no matter what. 
During the counterattack, Leo and his team of 18 men held off entire divisions of the Chinese army while enduring heavy mortar fire. They were eventually ordered to retreat, but Leo refused and instead demanded that the mortar officer rain heavy barrages back at the enemy, even though they were considered danger close. So basically, he, he got on the phone and told the mortar officer, fire as close as possible to us because the enemy's right here. Yeah, he literally had said, like, fire on our location. Yeah. Like, we, we can, like, if, if it hits us, it hits us, but, like, this is our best chance. And this is where the phrase, it is what it is. Literally. <laughs> by one Leo Major. They interview one of his, got one of the guys from his division at, that was at this battle, mm-hmm. and he's like, he called in an airstrike on us. Luckily, it, <laughs> luckily it didn't hit us, but... Like, this guy was crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine just being an earshot of that phone call? Yeah. And then, like, he's setting the coordinates, and then in your head, you're like, wait oh, a minute. Hey, hold, hold, Leo, Leo, wait. Leo. <laughs> but they all say, like, this guy was crazy, but we all followed him because he was literally a fearless leader, and he led by example, so. Right, yeah. He, I mean, he was literally in the trenches and yeah, holding off these forces, the Chinese forces, with his men. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see, like, how excited this guy got talking about leo and how like much of a respect he had for him as a leader right yeah so apparently the mortar fire from uh, the canadian forces was so close that the mortar officer could actually hear the explosions on the phone with leo which i guess i never even thought that that was that super rare but if you think about it, that has to be extremely rare yeah uh and it was actually so intense the motor the mortar fire that the mortars began to warp just because they were constantly, it was such a heavy rate of fire, or excuse me, a high rate of fire. So they kept on just pumping in shells, pumping in shells, pumping in shells, that the mortars began to warp. Just pumping and pumping and pumping. Pumping and pumping and boom and boom and boom. (laughs) They were blowing their load, as you you say. (laughs) All right, take a lap. (laughs) But Major's men were able to hold their ground for three more days until a tentative UN ceasefire was agreed upon. Major was again awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal, making three in total, and again, he did, he did accept this one. Uh, his official citation reads, Against a force, superior number, Corporal Major simply refused to give ground. His personal courage and leadership were beyond praise. Filling an appointment far above his rank, he received the full confidence of his men, so inspired by his personal bravery, his coolness, and leadership. And that's uh, that's the end of his military career, pretty much. He, end of Leo Major Regimental Number D eight zero two two five four of D Company, the Vandus. He pieced out of the military after that and returned home in one piece, and somehow in one piece. It's, yeah. It's whole aside from not being able to see out of one eye, but. Right. That's crazy. That if that's all that you have well, and the back pain that he had throughout his life after the oh, gosh, half track yeah. exploded, but I mean, hey, if, if you're taking just those damages out of that crazy scenario you put yourself in. Yeah, if you want to talk about having nine lives, this guy had probably thirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh so now we're just gonna dive into a little bit of his or just mention his his legacy. So Leo Major's three DCMs 
for two separate wars is completely unique in Canada, so he's the only person to do it. And will actually never be equaled since the Canadian military actually replaced the DCM with a, another medal in 1993. Major was invited to return to Zwolle several times. Uh, he also established very close ties with its people and was made an honorary citizen in 2005. The Dutch then named a street Leo Major Lan, so Leo Major Lane, after him. It's cool, too, because the, the signposts over in the Netherlands have a little description of who him and Willie are underneath, because Willie got a park dedicated to him in mm-hmm. like a the nearby area, so they put like who they are and why they're important, which is really cool. It's like that plaque just says, you know the city you're in? You owe these guys, yeah, basically. this guy, he's a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a documentary film uh, that Jacob mentioned that was released in 2019. And on May 8th, 2020, the Canadian Post issued a commemorative stamp for the 75th anniversary of VE Day, which includes an image of Leo Major. So, again, like Jacob mentioned, Leo proceeded to live a quiet life after his service, being married for 57 years and having four children. Yeah, so he married his wife in 1951. Her name was Pauline. And they had uh, four children, as Evan mentioned, but he, I guess, never really mentioned his war exploits to her until it became public knowledge Mm -hmm. because he didn't think she would believe him. Because, I mean, I wouldn't. No, yeah. But... The only reason that he ended up talking about it is because in 1970, like 25 years after he had been done fighting in World War II, some like citizens from Zwolle came and found him. They tracked him down and they're like, we're having a celebration like in honor of our liberation of the city and we want you to come. And so that was the first time anyone had heard of anything that he did in respect to like liberating an entire city of 50,000 people. Yeah. So, but that goes back to the whole thing about Quebec, not really, like, the people that enlisted didn't really talk about it, because it was kind of a taboo, so they just mm-hmm. kept to themselves and didn't really say anything, and then finally he could open up and start talking about it to his kids and his wife, so. I mean, absolutely insane, just the fact that he wasn't able to talk about it, because it was kind of taboo, like you mentioned, but. Just keeping in, like, how sick you were right, <laughs> back but, in the day. But at the same time, it was probably good for him to have that, all, like, over two decades of just peace. Because yeah. especially after, like, his son said, he saw that how young some of these people were that he was fighting mm-hmm. against. And it probably just gave him time to decompress and kind of sort through a lot of those feelings. And then he, once he was older, he was like, yeah, now I can likes talk about this and actually celebrate some of the things that I accomplished during during the war. But yeah, so that ends the story or the recap, I guess, of one Leo Major, one of the biggest badasses of all World War Two. Yeah. And it was really cool too, like everyone that either met him after he was out of the service or had parents that met him while he was in service. Everyone just said he was, like, a really nice guy, like, very Mm -hmm. modest, like, just a small-town boy trying to do big things. And he'll be remembered forever in the city of Zwolle, as well as just a lot of much-deserved credit. Goes to him just through the different stamps, movies, I'm sure there'll be a 
Hollywood film about this guy at some point. I hope so. I really hope so. That'd be so sick. Yeah, in his own words, I fought the war with only one good eye, and I did pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I love his modesty. He's so awesome. Uh, Yeah, because someone that does something like that and is just that humble about it that you Mm -hmm. don't even mention it, like in the slightest, to anyone for 25 years. Right. That's pretty impressive, and I much respect for this dude because that I can't imagine seeing some of the things that he saw and just continuing to go on like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crazy. such quiet confidence. Yeah, well, and after all the like injuries he suffered, he just refused to quit. Mm-hmm. So I also just love like how much he like didn't refuse orders, but just like kind of disregarded things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like broke out of the hospital and then went and visited his girlfriend first. He's yep. like, I got to do a couple of other important things first. <laughs> right. Not now, chief. I got to go do a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Li- and then lived 87 years. It's a, it's a good life. Yeah. Very, just an incredible life. Just what he all accomplished, seen, did. Just unbelievable. Yeah. And there was like the, the honor and respect that his kids have for him when they talk about him is really cool. Like they all yeah. say, like my dad was a hero. Like not many people can say their their father was a legitimate hero, but he right. was just an ordinary guy in an extraordinary circumstance that went above and beyond to do what he didn't have to really do mm-hmm. just to make an impact. Yeah, and like I would love to just keep on diving into more of these stories just throughout the different wars because. There are plenty of them. Oh, there's so many, yeah. And just sometimes they go unheard of just through whatever reasons. And highlighting men like this definitely gives a little warm spurt. Warm spot. <laughs> a warm spurt. Warm Spartan. <laughs> yes, a warm spot in my heart. Uh, just very, very cool. Yeah, I, I love hearing about it because it was like the greatest generation. Like, Sure. I can't imagine something like this today with like, I don't know how many people would be able to step into those roles and do like the same like idea right. of what he did. It's crazy, and yep. I can't imagine it. Just especially with how much negative like there there was just so much negative stigma around like even enlisting where he was from. Mm-hmm. So for him to go and like be the soldier that he was is really cool. And then coming back and your parents sold all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Let me just lay... Oh, there's no bed. I can't I'm, lay down. I'm Canadian Rambo, and this is how I get welcomed home. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this is a really... It was a feel-good one. Absolutely. Everyone, you know, it ended with a nice little... You know, he got his credit eventually. Yes. Man. Good old Leo. Leo Major. Canadian Rambo. Mm-hmm. Close the book on him. But yeah, uh, we'll be back. I'm sure we'll do, like Evan said, we'll do more stories like this guy interspersed throughout our, our different episodes because there's there's so many. So many. And I'm sure we could, even, a lot of wars. <laughs> we could even just do like an episode where we do like little shorts, like deep dive or little mini dives on right. like a, a few of them at a time. Mm-hmm. So, Wow, look at that. Only an hour. I know. So... Hope you guys enjoyed this one. I definitely enjoyed researching this guy and just I just love that people feel the need to exaggerate his story even mm-hmm. though like all of the evidence that we have that's like confirmed is way more than enough. Pretty amazing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
But I'm surprised like one of the videos that I watched and didn't say like, and then he killed Hitler. Yeah, right. It wasn't the cyanide tablet. Because it was like he liberated Zwoll two weeks before Hitler killed himself. Right. It's like, that's how close we were to the end of the war. And he was just still going like full speed ahead. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All gas, no brakes. But anyway, before we log off here, you can find us on social medias. So on Twitter, at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco. I'm going to change it to Wisconsin Rambo. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesehead Rambo. <laughs> Love that so much. Uh, you can find Mark at Mark underscore sign B. Then myself at Whatevskis. Yeah, I like how I'm going to take that. Mark's the one that's actually been in the armed forces. Yeah, in the armed forces. <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna come I've done just as much. <laughs> right, you're just going to come in with like headband on carrying two machine guns at all times with their like, like nerf guns i served in the modern warfare two days yeah <laughs> the things i've been called boots on the ground <laughs> boots on the ground wheels up brother <laughs> uh you can also follow us on instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast then you can follow us on tiktok at gems of history pod big shout out to all the veterans out there this one's for you guys because you guys get your own day every year, but I don't think that's enough for all you guys have done out there. So thank you all the veterans out there. We really appreciate everything you guys do and the ones that are still fighting out there. We appreciate what you are doing. So thank you guys. We're just in a basement recording and a, a show, but mm-hmm. I'd like to give you guys credit where credit is due for sure. But yeah, if you guys want to get in touch with us in a more private area, you can email us at gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. If you guys want to uh, give us any story recommendations or maybe you know of uh, another war hero that you guys don't think has enough credit, mm-hmm. let us know on uh, any of the social medias or anything. So we're always looking for content. But Give us the content. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all the content you guys get for this week. So we'll be back next week with something. We'll find something. It, it, to cover. It, we'll have something coming Man, for you. History just completely ran drive things to talk about. Yeah, we're <laughs> just. Well, someone asked me like, "How do you guys pick what topics you do?" I'm like, "It's literally like I could see an article that pops up and just be like, I'm oh, yeah. going to cover that this week." Yeah, so. that happens all the time. But I've talked to Evan. I've, I do have some uh, series that I want to try and do as we go. And I know Evan said he wants to do like a, a battle series from a war. But yeah, I want to I want to try and cover like uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City. The those are all different tragedies that all kind of run into one another. So there we go. Now we're back. That's how we find our medium. Yeah, right. We'll do an episode like this, and we'll be like, you know what? Now we're gonna talk about Waco because I don't think that. Well, like it's I don't think many people know. Obviously, people know about Waco because it's huge. Like right. there's there's a whole compound and stuff, but. I feel like Ruby Ridge and Oklahoma City are very like under the radar things that are just as important and like shows the repercussions of things that happened beforehand. So, yep. yeah, we'll we'll definitely do stuff like that in the future. So we've got plenty of stuff coming down the pipe, but just depends how quickly I can read these books. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all we got for this week. So we'll be back next week and I hope you guys all have a great week and had happy holidays and are looking forward to the ones coming up. But Adios for now.